1: Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog.
0: Marka Mesutofil! back! Arsenal for the
1: This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, very, very goodly morning to you. The
0: goodliest of mornings. The goodliest morning I can recall on this podcast for quite some time. Goodly morning to you too, sir.
1: And goodly morning to everybody who's listening. Hope you've all had a fantastic weekend. As you can hear from my voice, I have had a very... Uh, Enjoyable weekend. Uh, My voice is not quite as um, rich and mellifluous as it usually is. And if I try and speak um, (laughs) in any way uh, above this kind of timber or tone, I sound like uh, someone whose voice is about to break because it just goes like this. Um,
0: so the emotion I'm, of the FA Cup is getting to you. Your yeah. voice is cracking under the <laughs> the sheer weight of it. Well, on, on no account attempt to do the Lucky Charms thing. You <laughs> definitely don't have the vocal dexterity for that. Today. No,
1: no, I don't. I leave that. That's very much in your wheelhouse. Anyway, you are <laughs> you, you are in Greece. I'm in
0: Greece. I'm not even absolutely clear where I am in Greece. Um, it's sort of, it all happened very fast. I got on a plane. I'm in Nidri, apparently, near near Levkas. Um, I just looked on Google to see where I was. Um, but yeah, it's it's lovely here, but uh, working a tight schedule, so we might have to uh, keep this briefer than usual. A shame, really, given the magnitude of what unfolded over the weekend. Yes. Um, um, um,
1: yeah. Yeah. What a fucking day that was. What a day. Oh. Um, I, I don't even know quite where to start with it all, because obviously we did the live one on Thursday, and that was great, and did all the preparation, and then you're... You know, you're thinking... Do you remember, actually, when we went for a drink afterwards, there were about 12 of us around the table and we were asked to give our predictions. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do, I do. What was your prediction? uh, I can't remember yours.
0: My prediction was 2-1 to Chelsea. Right. Hang on,
1: what was your prediction? Just that Arsenal would win. Uh, I didn't didn't give a score thing, but just that Arsenal would win. Now, it could well have been um, because there was drink taken... I was feeling more optimistic than, than, uh, than I might have done otherwise. But you know, it, it worked out. And people have been asking this morning, are you okay? Are you, are you fine? You're not injured. You're not hurt, maimed, destroyed, well, paralyzed <laughs> in any way. Bits of you haven't fallen off. You haven't been burned, what you're okay.
0: Uh well, I'll quickly explain. So first of all, on the on the predictions thing, um by the time kickoff came around, I was feeling much more positive. As inevitably you do, you know, the atmosphere gets to you. And as the teams were coming out of the pitch, I thought, I'm so positive I'm gonna try and put a bet on. So I tried to put a bet on Alexis Sanchez to score first and Arsenal to win two one. I tried to put on a tenner at seventy five to one. Um, And as they were coming out, the betting site sort of went into its freezing thing of, we're not going to let you place a bet because it's too close to kickoff. And I never placed the bet. So that was one piece of misfortune that fell to me. I'll happily lose that 750 quid, you know, for the result. But then when I got the flight over yesterday morning, um, something weird did happen where, because I've got a bit of a cold, my sinuses sort of explode. Exploded and I was deaf for eight hours after I got off the plane. So it was belated. The sort of karmic retribution of me suffering something for an Arsenal victory. Don't worry, guys. It did
1: happen. All right. Well, that's good. Everything is okay with the world. We've won, and there is something wrong with you, but nothing too serious, thankfully. Um, a little bit of no, financial I can hear again. Yeah, that's good. That's always good, especially handy when you're doing uh, a podcast. That's always uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> an advantage, I think. Um, so look, let's let's start. Um, I mean, your your day was a little bit different because you were you were working at the game, um, sure. but. I mean, even in the press box, you must have been feeling the excitement of the cup, uh, the the beautiful day that was in it, the fact that there was kind of a bit like, not that we had nothing to lose, but I, I felt like the players that we had out under the circumstances, with some of them coming back into the team, with some team selections that, you know, were a little bit confusing to me, but in hindsight now I'm, you know, I'm... I'm not being in any way critical of, of any of them. I can't, obviously. Um, I never felt like we were going to get turned over by Chelsea. There was always, I felt more to us. People were saying before the game, Chelsea are going to win easily. It's going to be, uh, you know, f- fairly handy for them. They're the overwhelming favorites, but I always felt like at the very least we were going to give them a game. And from the first fucking second when it kicked off, I could see that they, th- these players were really up for it.
0: Yeah, it's almost like, you know when teams, um, I don't know, when let's say it gets to the last of the Premier League season and they're playing to stay up or whatever, and they say, oh, this is our cup final. And it's that thing where your season gets compressed into 90 minutes. I mean, obviously, this was actually the cup final, but almost because, because there was so much up in the air, it really felt like everything was just focused on this one game and you could see that in the players it was like we're not looking past this because we haven't got a clue what's going to happen and for the fans too everything just felt completely concentrated on that 90 minutes and and the players focus was so absolute and that was evident absolutely straight away as soon as as soon as we kicked off you thought oh okay this is a game, we're going to give them a game. And that's such a relief for an Arsenal fan who's seen teams, you know, fold in big games on on so many occasions in the past.
1: Yep, 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 yep. And then a a very early goal to... uh to take the lead, I have to say that, you know, let's say in some weird other dimension, I was a Chelsea fan, I would be absolutely furious that we had <laughs> conceded that goal.
0: <laughs> I think so too. I mean, can I ask you about your experience of that in the stands? You know, what was it like when the goal hit the net? Did you celebrate? Did you think this is going to stand? tell um, me through what, there, what there, that was like.
1: There was a little bit of confusion. Um, we were looking at it. I was, I was, uh, I thought it was going to be an issue of whether Ramsey was offside or not. I knew Alexis yeah. wasn't offside. I thought it was whether he would deem Ramsey to be interfering with play, which I think he was, kind of. Um, yeah. But he went over to consult with the linesman, and I was looking at it, going, "It's Anthony Taylor." This, you know, this is not going to happen to us on cup final day. If you can find Sir that.
0: Anthony Taylor, you mean. <laughs> <us>? <laughs>
1: um, I, I thought he was going to fuck us. But uh, yeah, there was that, that sort of trepidation. And then obviously elation when, when he uh, pointed to the middle of the park. And yeah, I mean, just I would, I would be absolutely furious if I were a Chelsea fan, which is why that goal is even better from an Arsenal fan's point of view. That that touch of controversy to it, that perhaps the fact that it should have been disallowed, maybe for that for the handball, it's like it just makes it better.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I think it probably shouldn't have been a goal on two counts, but a couple of things. First of all, big credit to Alexis Sanchez for uh, playing on it anyway, playing to like so play the whistle, the whistle, whistle. It in the- play the whistle exactly, exactly. You know, he stuck it in the net at the end of the day, which we struggled to do. To- honest for, for the rest of that half um, and yeah I mean who cares I mean honestly as a fan you're just absolutely elated that's gone in and it was so important You know, as much as we talk about Arsenal's start and how good we looked, had the first goal gone against us it probably would have been a completely completely different game, it would have suited Chelsea absolutely and as it was it was perfect for our game plan so that was a massive massive moment in the game uh, but typical of Alexis I guess to be the guy who stepped up again five goals for Arsenal at Wembley that's two more than any other Arsenal player just the guy who you expect that from on those occasions
1: yeah I mean look big game player Um, again Mm. does it in a big game and really for for the rest of that half we, we should have scored more goals and I have to admit there was a feeling in the stands as we were watching it that these missed chances might come back to haunt us what were you thinking
0: Absolutely the same. You know, we had, what was it? Well, one hit the post and came off Ramsey, hit the post again. Ozil with that uh, sort of clip shot that Cahill cleared off the line. There might even have been a couple more, but they were the, the big ones where I was like, you know, you don't tend to get that many opportunities of that quality against a team like Chelsea. And I just thought they can't be as bad in the second half. That was, that was basically the way I saw it. I mean, as good as we were, they really weren't at the races in that first 45 minutes.
1: Okay, but then we come down to the thing that it, were they bad because we were good kind of thing. Course. You know, that, that's of where course. the line is. And I, I saw people talking about, well, Chelsea weren't really up for this. And it's like, fuck off. Of course they were. It was a mm. chance to do the double for fuck's sake. Of course they were up for it. They didn't play as well as they can. I think we all know that. But I think Arsenal have to take some of the credit for that. See, then my voice is going again. Um <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal have to take some of the credit. And, uh the, you know, the way we got stuck in, the way we tackled, the way we... The way we uh stayed organized, the commitment in the defending was absolutely superb. Uh the three central defenders uh just outstanding. Um uh and I'll sure yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about Mertesacker in a bit, but uh you know, set the tone early on when Costa and Holding came together and Rob Holding's giving him the uh you know, oh, I'm gonna fucking kill you, mate, pointing to his head. Amazing stuff from from the young guy.
0: Oh, did you actually? I've actually seen that clip in slow motion and, and done a bit of lip reading. Have you seen what Holden actually says to him? No, he he, he says he. Um, I managed to see it back from an angle where you can see what he says. And he says to Costa, "You're mad. You're a nutter." (laughs) 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 And he's pointing at his head like you're you're like you've got a screw loose, mate. (laughs) So yeah, he's absolutely right. But I mean, you know, for, for a young guy to stand up to and take the game to. One of the, you know, sort of, I mean, one of the, the most well-known strikers in the world and a guy who's sort of infamous mm. for terrorising defenders. That was brilliant for holding. It was a great moment and a big moment in the game, really. I just thought, you know, it was, you know, Arsenal characteristically down the years have been bullied and it was this moment where it was like, well, not today. Yeah. Not today, Diego.
1: Absolutely not. Did you see the Murtasacker comments um, where he talks about how they they went to work on Diego Costa? He says, Rob was giving him a really hard time and I kept patting him on the back being friendly while Rob kept talking to him. So you can imagine Holding like, just going, you're a fucking nuts, man. You're a fucking twat. And then Mertesacker yeah. going, come on, dear. I don't listen to this young guy here, Bob. I love this good cop, <laughs> bad cop routine that Rob Holding and Per Mertesacker have developed. Um, there was a great interview yeah. with them uh, before the game. They sat down and they interviewed each other and it was quite I an interesting it, yeah. watch. So, I mean, the idea that they've come up with something like that, that we will we'll try and wind them up because they know he's got that kind of temperament um to be fair Costa was probably Chelsea's best player he scored the goal he he had a great chance to equalize again uh but for a really good David Ospina save uh, late in the in the second half but for the most part Arsenal uh the defenders worked worked really really hard and and all over the pitch you could see players putting tackles in Welbeck chasing back Xhaka winning his tackles Mesut Ozil was sliding in on Eden Hazard. What's that about? Fucking brilliant. I know.
0: (laughs) Uh, Delighted to see that. I mean, Aaron Ramsey, I think Aaron Ramsey broke a record for the amount of ground covered in 90 minutes in a cup final. He was was everywhere too. I mean, you know, we could talk about every individual, to be honest, because to a man, they stepped up. They stepped up. And how many times have you seen Arsenal shirk? Mm. How many times have you seen Arsenal shrink when the pressure's on? And they really, really came through and competed physically with Chelsea and that's not necessarily something you would expect if you think about that Chelsea team Costa Kante Matic these are you know big strong athletes and guys who have overpowered us in on previous occasions but we were we were up to it
1: this time yeah so tell me what what was your feeling when uh Moses had been sent off and then Chelsea equalized well, the Moses
0: sending off, I've got to say, I think huge credit has to go to the referee. I don't know many officials. Uh, you know, I mean, you'd like to think they would do it, but I think it does take a little bit of ball to send someone off for simulation in an FA Cup final. Uh, but he got it absolutely right as well. It was a great shout and a great call. <laughs> um, however, when they equalised, I'll be honest, actually, I didn't feel that bad because... Although Chelsea had been better in the second half, I just thought that with 11 men on that big pitch, we would probably have the legs off them. I was desperate for it to happen in 90 minutes rather than 120. I don't think my nerves could have coped with any more. But fortunately, to be honest... I didn't have very long to worry about it because we got the goal effectively straight away.
1: Yeah, um, people make comparisons to the 1979 FA Cup final when Manchester United equalised. It was a bit later in the game, but uh, almost immediately... Arsenal went up the other end and scored that famous winner through Alan Sunderland. And here we go again. Aaron Ramsey uh, getting on the end of Olivier Giroud's cross 22 seconds after they'd scored. So they barely had time to stop cheering. They were probably still with that. The heart was racing. You know, you're going, oh, my God, is it on? We're 10 men. We could, you know, Arsenal could crumble here. This is going to be great. You know, blah, blah. We're going to do the double. And then, oh, (laughs) far <laughs> uh, that-
0: yeah I mean look if, you, if you'd put money on one team before the game to do that score and continue 20 to, within 22 seconds it probably probably wouldn't have been Chelsea but it was great to see I mean I think I said it on Twitter but the gap between them scoring and us scoring was see, his number going up the previous week and him going off the pitch I enjoyed that element of it and I, yeah great response just a brilliant response I mean so many players their head would be down after conceding that goal but Ramsey's instincts his desire to get forward and get in the box was was absolutely there and what about Olivier Giroud too The, the ultimate super sub really proving it again
1: what a substitution that was unbelievable and when you think back to 2014 who got the winning goal then Aaron Ramsey who got the assist Olivier Giroud with that little back heel so there's something about those boys on on that occasion on that pitch um Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, I think you said it right, the the desire of Ramsey to get into that area, where sometimes we've had teams in the past where a player goes wide and you're looking for him to put the ball in the box, but there's no point because there's nobody in there. It was a fantastic run, and he just has that uh, instinct, um, and the timing of it was absolutely impeccable as well. Stooping header as well, James. People have pointed out to me when I was uh, oh, yes. talking the other day about Trevor Brooking and hating the term stooping header. Well, um, I, I don't he's hate it as it. much. Yeah, he's redeemed it a bit.
0: That run, because if you think... It's Giroud who's, who's, who's gone out the box to make the cross so that the onus is on somebody to step up and, and get into that six-yard area. Ramsey does it. I mean, first of all, let's say as well, what a brilliant pass from Alexis Sanchez to find Giroud as well. I mean, he's been doing that yeah. all season long from those deeper areas. That was a, you know, it was a similar pass, really, to the one that um, found Urzel for that great goal a few weeks ago, cut between the defence. Giroud raced onto it, ran in behind, not necessarily what you'd expect. Great cross, great header. And, uh, I mean, Aaron Ramsey, two FA Cup winning goals to his name now in the last three years or so. I mean, if, if that can't sort of settle a debate and earn you some popularity among the Arsenal fans, I, d- I don't know what can.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, look, FA Cup final winners in 2014, 2017. Um, look, I, I get why you straight people, but you can't fucking argue with that. You can't argue with that.
0: It's a, it's a tremendous, tremendous, uh, contribution, isn't it, to the cause. And yeah. from that point on, really, I mean, were you, were you nervous? Did you feel like we had it then? I mean, I felt that we did. I just felt that there was a confidence and a conviction in the team that, you know, we that was so lacking for so much of the season.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, but also there's that that part of you that goes, well, it's only another goal can get them back into it, go into extra time, and you know, you'd fancy yourself with eleven men against ten men in extra time as well. But yeah, it was it was nerve wracking a bit. Um, I w- I was I enjoyed how we played, and we did play really really well. Uh, I think we were on top. We had control, but as the Ospina save from uh, Diego Costa showed, it just takes a moment, uh, and the uh, the the trajectory can change uh, quite considerably. So,
0: um, it's fine margins, but then equally, we could have you know uh, put another couple of goals away. I mean, what about that that Mesut Ozil one where he hit it against the post? Oh, that looked for all the world like it was going to be a goal.
1: Oh yeah, I mean he should have scored there, and it, it should have gone in off uh, Courtois. That's what should have happened there. It should have gone in off the goalkeeper's arse. Um you know, we, we didn't have a great deal of luck with our with our finishing um and, and should have made more of the the opportunities that we had, even at the very end. Remember when El was in the box and he just take a shot on goal or just fucking not go to the point. The the
0: not the guy you wanted <laughs> necessarily. Not, not that necessarily.
1: That not necessarily. But you know, I think there's no doubt that we we absolutely deserved that from from start to finish, we were the better team. Um, just fantastic uh, mm. yeah I, I'm finding it hard to even find the words still to talk about how good that was and, and what it meant and what it's I, I don't know how it feels obviously when you win something you know for all the people who were like dismissive of the FA Cup like, I'm sure they're, uh, they were, as much as anybody, loving the goals and loving the way we played against Chelsea on Sunday or on Saturday. I mean, how can you not love that? I don't, I don't get it. I mean, of course, Premier League is more important, Champions League is more important, blah, 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 but, like, it's a fucking cup final at Wembley, and you, you do that and you play that well. It was just amazing. Brilliant.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think winning the Premier League and winning the Champions League are more important. But I think they're pretty much the only things, you know, that are more important. I, I wouldn't swap uh, f- what happened on Sunday for being in that top four. Absolutely no way. I mean, it was a brilliant day and a brilliant trophy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the team really, really came through when when the pressure was on. It was such a huge, huge occasion and they delivered. And I, you know, even saying that, I feel kind of like, uh, thrilled by it, but also slightly surprised. And it's, uh, yeah, it was, I, I'll be honest, I did I did not expect us to produce a performance of that quality. Mm. And um, I think any suggestion that Chelsea went up, I think they had a lot to play for themselves. Everyone wants to do the double. Uh, but Arsenal were just too good for the day.
1: Yeah, they certainly were. And like you say, what would you what would you take? Top four or a trophy? You know, ideally Both. That's you know that's it. But if you're given a straight choice, you know, being uh, around other Arsenal fans, watching the game, the jubilance, the exuberation, the just the the togetherness that you feel after winning something like that, it does bring everybody together. It makes all the other issues, even if only temporarily, secondary. Because it is all about winning things. And people can't, on one hand, criticize the club for not winning things or the team or the manager because we don't win enough and then be in any way dismissive when we actually do win a trophy. And uh, look, it's... a. Uh, it's a record-breaking trophy as well. Arsenal have won the FA Cup more than any other team. Arsene Wenger has won it more than any other manager. Apparently, we've won the FA Cup, um, according to... Uh, here's my voice going. According to uh, West Antone, we've won the FA Cup more times in the last four years than Tottenham have in the last 50. Wow. I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean, it was. it's a big landmark trophy.
0: I mean, to be uh, the team who's out there with the most FA Cups and the manager... That's massive. I mean, I I can't see that Arsene Mega record being beaten in the modern era. It would take something pretty extraordinary because I just don't think managers have the same kind of longevity. I mean, to do it all with one club as well, I don't think that will ever be matched. So that's massive for Arsene. And I think you know, in it probably won't quite be up there for, with the invincible season, but I think that's something that will be very difficult to surpass. I think it'll be, it'll be close.
1: Um, there's obviously a lot going on this week in terms of board meetings and all that, but I, you know, I don't really want to focus too much on, on that yeah. today because I think we should just enjoy this without wondering what it all means. And does it mean anything Arsene Wenger even said after the game? It doesn't mean, uh, much in terms of what's going to happen with him and his future. So, you know, I think we should just, uh, as much as possible focus on the, uh, on the positives and, and the good things that happened at Wembley. And one of those good things was the performance of Per Mertesacker, which I have to say, you know, I wasn't, I, we spoke about it last week, I think on the podcast and you were asking me if I was worried about it. And I was like, I don't think so. I think he's, you know, got the experience to come in and, and do well. But like th- that I think is probably one of the, greatest central defensive performances I've ever seen in a final on a day like that in a big game with so much at stake from a guy who, who last started a game for us in April 2016 who has barely played yeah. all season long people people underestimate how difficult it is to get into the rhythm of, of a match like that and a match of that uh, intensity as well It was just unbelievable what he did.
0: I agree. And, you know, 32 years old, and he had never played in a back three at any level, he yeah. admitted, before the game. Stepped into that system. And to be honest, I think it suited him because he had two more mobile guys in holding and Montreal either side of him who were e- absolutely excellent in yeah. their own right. But what Murtazaka did, I mean, that block, that, he, that sliding block he produced uh, to stop Costa getting to that cross on the right, yeah. a tackle in the box. There were moments of absolutely brilliant defending. And you were reminded what a good player he is, really. I mean, he came off the pitch. Martin Keown was in the tunnel, and he said to Martin Keown, "You know, don't write me oh, off." And I think what, what, anyone who had written him off, yeah. uh, will be
1: feeling rather rueful about that. What because... did you What did you think of that little exchange?
0: <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I don't know. I don't know if Keown had Keown said
1: something in the in the build up, or I don't I'm know. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. But it felt the that it was a little bit awkward. It felt to me there was a touch of awkwardness to it. Like Mertesacker was sort of saying, don't write me off, man, don't write me off. And Keown was trying to be a bit more jovial than Mertesacker was allowing him to be, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I thought, you know, is a proud man and he's a guy who I think has been written off many times in his time in England and I think unduly criticised and underrated. Um, I think he did have a difficult start, but he went on to become a massively important player for us and is, I think, a far better defender than he's ever really been given credit by the, the wider media. I think Arsenal fans generally do know his value mm. and his limitations. Um, and and I, I thought, you know, he's, he's, he's very mature, isn't he? He's his own man. yeah. And he went out there with a job to do. I thought it was really interesting in the build-up to the game. It might have been in that interview with Rob Holding. He's talked about how he's aged a lot in the last two years he says he, f- he knows that he's aged a lot physically but he was still able to produce that performance and I think it probably helped him it was one game and he knew you know he talked before the match he was like I'm ready for 120 minutes I'm ready to do whatever it takes yeah and you could see that in the way he played and uh, you know also you've got to be delighted for him individually I mean this was a nightmare season for him he spent the first half injured in the second half didn't get a run out didn't get a game By all accounts, was absolutely professional in training, given his absolute commitment, despite the fact he wasn't really considered for selection. And he's had this redemption on the final day of the season at Wembley. It's a great, great story. And frankly, it puts Smertsaka where he belongs, which is in the heart of Arsenal folklore. And, you know, the story of his performance that day will become legend, won't it?
1: It it really will. Um, It's a legendary performance in its own right, but in the circumstances, the way that he came back in, um, and, and performed the way he did. It was just brilliant. I, I've always been a huge Murtisacker fan. I know people will mm. take the piss out of me for it, but I love that as well. You know, when you're, one of your favorite players does something as good as that, it's brilliant. And we have a little tweet here from Anna, who's at Murtisacker, uh, with a four where the A should be. And before the game, there was a, uh, uh, an interview with Alex Huxley-Chamberlain who was talking about all the players so Welbeck is this and Ozil is that yeah, yeah. and he says Per Sacker, he's the dad of us all he's our dad we all look up to Per and Per looks after us. He keeps us all in line. He's always moaning at us and shouting at us and getting the best out of us. But he's down with the kids as well, you know. He makes up handshakes for all the boys. He's with the young lads, spends two hours playing basketball with the youth team boys. Per is literally like he's a god around here. And, you know, people often scoff at the idea that a player, even if he's not playing, um, can make a contribution by what he does off the pitch, the way he behaves off the pitch, what he does in the dressing room. But to have those characters around uh, is really, really important. And of course you want your club captain to be you know, playing week in, week out but uh for him to go through that season like you say be so professional train all day keep doing his duties as a captain as the club captain all the other uh, bits and pieces that we don't see uh, the commitments that they make uh, the work that they do off the pitch not just for the for the uh for the other players but you know the the events that they have to attend club functions all those kind of things uh, so yep. yeah I'm absolutely chuffed for him to uh uh, to, to have been able to lift the cup. And again, I think you get a measure of the guy. He he, he lifted the cup with Lauren Koscielny. He could have, as club yeah, captain, yeah. have taken that cup and lifted it himself and passed it to Koscielny next. But, you know, he, he, he knew what the story was and uh, uh, was there to sort of uh, bring his mate into it as well. I thought that was just first class.
0: Yeah, I think Arsene Wenger's been criticised in the past for not putting enough emphasis on the role of the captain on the pitch. I think what Saka shows you, and I guess what Arteta did before... Is how important the role of the captain can be off the pitch too. Yeah, um, I mean it, it was both on Sunday. But I remember an interview with Danny Welbeck after he'd come back from his long injury, and he was talking about how important Sacker was to him during his rehabilitation when they were both in the gym. That the level of encouragement he gave him, the support, um, and I just think you know you hear all these stories about his presence on the training ground, uh, his rapport with the other players, and that was evident in the celebrations too. It was a, it was a great day for Arsenal, but it was a great day for Per and I think you've got to be absolutely delighted for him any player who gets written off like that and fights back with a performance of that magnitude Mm. uh, you know it's, it's great to see. And, I, and you know, I, I know we don't want to delve into the manager's future, but in that regard, it was a great day for him too because the, the strain he's been under, the pressure he's been under, it, the, the tenacity that he showed to hold on and fight back and produce nine wins from ten games in a new shape and a trophy too. Given the campaign that he has endured this season and the problems that he's been beset with, uh, you know, I, I take my hat off to him. I really, really do.
1: Yeah, I thought there was another really interesting bit where if you look at the comparison between Manchester United's trophy celebrations, uh, the other yeah, night, yeah, yeah. and Arsenal's trophy celebrations, Mourinho was front and centre. Mourinho was putting himself right there, holding up his hands to do the three trophies thing and ju- jumping around. And Arsene Wenger was, stayed very much on the on the outside of it because he doesn't want the... The adulation in that regard, he wants it to go to the players who performed on the pitch. And look, I'm I'm absolutely delighted for Arsene Wenger. It's um, I don't know if you can say he he deserves it, but it is just fantastic to see him lift another trophy because he's uh, even if you're at the point where you think uh, as a team or as a club, Arsenal could do with a new manager. um, It's it's great to see a man who's given so much to the club. Bring more success to it, and to cement his own legendary status. Uh, you know, exactly. seven, seven wins. Um, they were singing, uh, singing the song afterwards seven times, seven times. Arsene Wenger. You know, it, it is already part of his of his history at, at this club, and in in many ways, uh, it's uh, it's it's fitting that that he did win a trophy this season.
0: And the fact that it is this kind of historic achievement that places him out on his own as the greatest manager in the FA Cup's history, what it does is it kind of puts him, it puts him in a, it forces us to look at him in a broader historical context. And I'm not saying that should necessarily change what happens with him in the immediate or, or immediate future or the short term, but it makes you look at us uh, and the sort of scale of his achievements over the 20 years. And I think that's no bad thing, really. I think whatever happens with him, looking at what he's contributed over two decades, uh, and, and this result kind of forces us to do that, is probably helpful and something that he deserves because seven FA Cups, I mean, I've said it already, but it's just a magnificent
1: achievement. Yeah, it really is. And, and just great for the club as well, um, you know, to to add a trophy so it's all about and obviously there are trophies we want to win um that we haven't won for a while but you know w- when you're there and when you're experiencing it when you're watching it whether you're in the stadium or whether you're sitting at home or whether you're in a bar somewhere else that moment when the final whistle goes and you know that you've you've won the cup you've won the final it's just a brilliant moment as a football fan
0: of course of course and that is what it's absolutely about and we've been lucky enough to have uh, a few of those days at Wembley recently. Uh, but this one, I think, given the the nature of the opposition and the, the performance we produced in the circumstances we were in, yeah. uh, it does really feel extra special.
1: It sure does. It sure does. So anything else that sticks out on uh, for you? Uh, I'm just trying to think back
0: to the day, really. I mean, uh, to be honest... To be honest, I think we've covered most things. I, I, I could honestly talk about every player and talk about the way in which they excelled. I mean, one guy who I think has flown a little under the radar, so I'm going to pick them out, is, is Nacho Monreal. Because mm. I remember a few months ago him being written off. And I, he was playing at left-back and wasn't getting much protection from you know, the likes of Alex Awobi. And I remember people saying, Monreal's finished. you know. And since we've gone to this new system, he's played at left-wing back. He's played as a left-sided centre-back. And he has absolutely excelled in both roles. And I remember everyone was talking about Oxlade Chamberlain being potentially out of position or what have you, but yeah. centre half isn't isn't a position has played his whole career. He stepped in there in a new system, a new role, and has he's just been absolutely brilliant and and his journey of the season, I guess, is kind of Uh, A microcosm of what's happened with Arsenal really had such a difficult time and then has managed to come back and end on a high. And, you know, going into next season, it looks like we've got a new left sided player arriving, but they've got a real battle on their hands because Monreal's proved himself to be such an important defender. And, uh, you know, holding, there's always going to be talk about him because he's a young guy. Murtisaka, this amazing story of this comeback. But Monreal, it's not quite as uh, exciting a tale, but I thought he was brilliant.
1: Yeah, can't argue with that in the slightest. I think he's uh, fantastic and amazingly versatile, but consistent player. You always get a seven out of ten at the least from him. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know he was he was absolutely brilliant at Wembley. I thought Granite Shaka as well uh, over mm-hmm. the last few months, and probably in some ways because he's a had a regular partner in Aaron Ramsey, and B because of the formation change has really shown why it is we spend that money on him. I think it makes a complete twat of all the people who wrote him off front you know it's one thing being critical of a player it's one thing saying uh a player hasn't quite lived up to expectations or that he he maybe hasn't played as well as he can but there were people you know calling him the worst signing of all time the biggest flop of the season you know all that kind of stuff just makes those people look really fucking stupid because he was absolutely great uh at Wembley and really really good for the last uh three months of this season
0: yeah, and he's so important to the way we play now. I mean, I was, I've was i been looking at some stats this morning for various things and Shaka uh, only played, I think, 32 Premier League games but only one player made more passes in the course of the Premier League season and that was Cesar Azpilicueta who played every game at Chelsea. So everything we do really goes through him and, you know, his use of the ball. is uh, so excellent. I think he's basically been misunderstood. You know, people thought... Arsenal were getting a, a destroyer and what they've got really is a, a playmaker and with Cazorla out that's what we've needed and he's grown into the team grown into the season as it's gone on Shaka and Ramsey you know we talked about it a year ago wanting to see yeah. that partnership what they could do and I think we're finding out and it's needed it's needed a change of system to protect the the defence and the keeper a bit more, but he is really coming into his own now. couldn't Couldn't agree more.
1: All right, all right. Well, look, it, it was fantastic, and obviously the uh, the post game celebrations uh, for you were a little bit muted because you had to get up so early to uh, to fly to I'm Greece. So. Yeah,
0: but you had a very good night. I, I I hear.
1: Yes, it was good fun. It was good fun. <laughs> it went on uh, quite a bit, but that's that's what happens after these things, isn't it?
0: Well, you're celebrating, why not?
1: There, there, there was that tweet, of course, that you um, you put out about a voicemail that I I sent you.
0: I was very grateful. I was very grateful. I'm sorry I missed your call. I was packing furiously. I think at that point. Oh, but right. uh, yeah, it was a, a tender voicemail to be honest with a, a lovely sign off that I didn't see coming, but was I think a fitting expression of love <laughs> for
1: such a, a wonderful occasion. Okay, sound quality is not the greatest, but this this is it. James, I'm you at This time of the night, uh, it's obviously very late for you because you've got a four a.m. flight. But uh, I'm on Will's Five and uh, we're in the Tollington, and we're enjoying the epic Dublin. I'm sorry, happy but
0: It
1: would be great if you were. Bye. Good night, darling. <laughs> so
0: there you go. A, sw- there go, a sweet moment, really, at the end of a, s- a sweet evening.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, you, you have to go because you've got to uh, get uh, get on set and do your do your work. Um, sure. All the way out there. So this part is a little bit truncated. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do next. Um, but we will, of course, keep the Arsecast Extra going during the summer. Uh, fantastic way to end the season, James. Um,
0: fantastic way to end the season. Yeah, it's been a good season. Thank you for, for listening, everyone who has throughout the season. We'll be carrying on throughout the summer
1: because I suspect... We'll have plenty to talk about. I think so. I think so. But for now, James will leave you there. And uh, let's see if we can put together a part two some other way. Okay. Bye-bye.
0: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend.
2: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
1: it's a brand new year and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of those i was there when arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now and to get yourself up and running you need shopify Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two where we answer the questions you send to us on Twitter, at Arseblog and at Gunnerblog, but uh, Gunnerblog is not here because, uh, as you found out at the end of part one, he's uh, away in Greece. He's gone to work over there now, so he has been replaced for this part of the show uh, by my Arsblog News colleague, Andrew Allen. Andrew, how are you? I'm very
2: well. I'm, well, actually, no, I'm really groggy. Um, <laughs> mon- Monday after the cup final is always a bit of a slog, but I'm so glad it's a bank holiday. Yes, um, yeah, yeah! What a fantastic weekend! It
1: really was, wasn't it? Just oh, the best, just the best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the common consensus that pretty much everybody's saying that was the that was the best. Of, I mean, of the three, I guess um, uh, you know we've been in three finals in recent years twenty fourteen, mm-hmm. twenty fifteen, twenty seventeen. I think I think this one was my favorite.
2: I think this one was my favourite because actually for most of the game, we were just brilliant. I mean, you know, the the whole game going, I mean, we were sitting next to each other and um, it was the first time I think we've ever sat and watched a game together. And you seemed a bit shocked by my reaction, which was, you know, effing and blinding. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) Um, You're usually such a polite young man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And (laughs) and it just wasn't an experience. You know, it was so tense, wasn't it, that one? And the, the villa game, you know because we were so dominant it didn 't really feel like it had that sort of you know you need to have a little bit of tension to bring out the best of it and uh, this one just this one just had everything because i don 't well I mean look we were in the pub after the game, nobody mm. expected it,
1: nobody expected that performance no it was uh, it was just fantastic brilliant brilliant to watch and uh, yeah if it 's uh, had an effect on us physically, emotionally financially it 's a price mm. that 's worth paying. Um, yeah. It is. So we're, we're going to do a few questions just to sort of, uh, give people the, the, the podcast they deserve after the weekend that we've had. Um, so I'm going to answer, I'm going to ask you this question first. One second. I should find it. Okay. Dan Butler, who's at Dan Butler211, wants to know what was your favorite treatment of Costa this season? Purr and Holdings, good cop, bad cop, or Costa Mustafis, just kick the shit out of him? Oh, God, that's a tough one,
2: isn't it? That's is a that's a tough question. I mean, I think I really appreciated in the first game when it was Koscielny and Mustafi because you could kind of see him getting stressed out on the pitch, whereas at Wembley, I was so far away, I didn't actually see Holding do what he did. Yeah. It's one of those things, like the Holding uh, and Mertesacker treatment is something I can enjoy on the replay, knowing that we've won the game, and I can enjoy that over and over and over for the rest of my life. The first one was more of an instant, you know, visceral, like, fuck you, Diego Costa, well done, Mustafi, Gaglioni. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So that's, yeah. I, I think I've got to go for purr for, um, and, and holding. For me, it's just it, to do it in a cup final, um, you know, in those circumstances, I think just makes it uh, all the better. I just love the idea of like a, 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 a the, sitting down and coming up with that. They must have had a conversation about that, right? To say, well, look, if you, you fucking get in his ear and I'll be the other way and we'll see if that can distract him in any way. Um, I just like, you know, they're sort of like Myrtle and Riggs. I mean, the funny
2: thing about it is when when you see the two of them, because there, there was an interview where they were kind of interviewing each other on the Arsenal YouTube channel just yeah. before the final. And they're such nice boys. That you probably don't really think they have it in them to kind of think, well, we're just going to fuck him up, aren't we? We'll just we'll just get right under his skin." You know, they seem like such nice people that to be able to come up with something so
1: dastardly like that, which ah, it's brilliant. It mm. really is. Good um, on them. More of that, please. Yes, exactly. Uh, especially in cup finals against a uh, big opposition who are trying to do the double, but uh, in the end can't. Um, so <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah. Let's have a question from you then. Uh, so, I mean, I, there's a lot
2: of love out there for Rob Holding at the moment. Um, so, I'm going to go with where does the Holding telling Costa to get his head checked uh, rank in your best ever Arsenal moments? And that's come from Robin Stanford.
1: Um, uh, it's 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 a big uh, it's a big list. I mean, I think the whole day uh, on Saturday will go down as one of the best Arsenal moments I've ever had, uh, just because of the how great the whole day was. The weather, the food, the company, the drinks, the after-game celebrations. But I love that a guy who cost two million quid from Bolton at the start of the season, who looked really promising in the early games that he played, and then went through a long period of the season where he didn't play, is brought back in into a back three into a you know a, a team that's having to adopt a new formation and this young center half there was it was the man city uh semi-final was the first game he played in ages wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah. so you know to come in Trying and perform the, the way man. yeah he, he performed amazingly in that game um again we could go back and say he should play a white Hart lane but you know that's uh that's a conversation for another day. I just love the fact that he's played as well as he has, looked as assured as he has, and isn't in any way cowed or bowed or worried by opposition players who could probably legitimately feel like they could bully him off the pitch. Like you know the way with um, with Senderos, you could mm. you could see. That the profile of someone like uh, Didier Drogba, the profile and the power of him was always something that worried him because it happened. I mean, Drogba did it to lots of other central defenders, but you could see in a way that that affected Sandoros. But uh, holding uh, to this point, and it should be pointed out, he's still in the very early stages of his career, doesn't seem to be in any way worried about the the profile or the experience of of the players he's playing against and I think that's just a huge uh that's a huge advantage and a huge positive he's just there's such a, a, a lot to like about him as well he seems like a really nice kid as well doesn't he
2: yeah i mean it's just there's a sort of a really lovely understated confidence isn't there about him like he's not a fussy guy he doesn't look like the type of guy you're going to see making headlines in the newspapers for hanging out with celebrities and all the rest of it um, what I really love about it is when he joined, is he said he he'd never really been to London apart from to play a couple of football matches with Bolton, yeah. and there he is inside a year, he's gone from, you know, you know, just no profile whatsoever in the game to, mm. to being an FA Cup winner. I mean, I mean, it's the stuff of dreams, isn't it? I mean, I'd love to do that. Unfortunately, now at the age of thirty-four and a half, there's a fairly high chance I'm not going to be offered a contract of any sort. But yeah. Um, I can live vicariously through Rob now for another decade. All right. Um, uh, and that song,
1: it's a very catchy song. That's it's a, a very catchy
2: <laughs> song, yeah. I, I do who came up with that. I mean, it's such a random song as well.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know either. Um, but fair play to them, and it got quite a lot of... Uh, uh, coverage, I think, in the in the pub after the game. Uh, I think that's as much as anything what what cost me my voice, apart from all the shouting during the game as well. Um, <laughs> all right, the the sea otter, Dur sea otter, who is at to eat the sea, wants to know: Did the possibility of a penalty shootout cost Czech his place on Saturday?
2: Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, I suspect not. I mean, are we now of the opinion that? Cech wasn't injured and this was definitely a tactical choice because obviously on the eve of the game, there were two versions of the story went out, wasn't there? Like
1: the Guardian one story. Cech, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, in the end, you know, it's worked well for, for us. And, and I guess, you know, that's the third FA cup in a row that we've played our second keeper. And all three of them have done okay apart from that mad Fabianski moment at the end of the whole game. <laughs> but, um, no, I don't, I don't think Wenger would, would necessarily do that. I mean, In fairness to Czech, he has saved a penalty in a Champions League final penalty shootout, which won Chelsea the Champions League. So um, it's not like he hasn't delivered when it's mattered in those circumstances.
1: True. Yeah, again, I I really couldn't see why he wouldn't pick Czech, considering the form he was in. But I guess in in many ways it was Arsene Wenger doing what he said he was going to do. If he promised David Ospina the cup games at the start of the season, and Ospina yeah. played most of the FA Cup games. He was gonna keep faith with him in the final. And uh, you know, it might drive you mad, but it is an admirable thing from from Wenger. Um a quality in a man to admire if it's one perhaps in a football manager that isn't always easy to to understand. You know? Mm. Um but you know, I was worried, I have to say, I was really worried because Ospina had been He'd been out of the team, he'd been injured, you're playing a team like Chelsea. I mean, I don't think he covered himself in glory with the goal. Uh, you know, oh. I think Czech probably would have saved that. He's a longer reach. I don't think Ospina did particularly well with the effort that he made to save it, but he did he did have a good game. He had a good game. I like the bit where he went down in the first half after the collision with, with Costa, like the tiniest collision, just down there, waste some time, some good old mm. South American shit housing. It was you know <laughs> I, I liked it and he made a really, really good save. Late in the game from Diego Costa, and you know you can't you can't argue with it. Uh, with the result, uh, you know, might not have been what we'd all have done in terms of team selection, but it worked out well for Arsene Wenger. Certainly did. I mean, Arsene deserved a bit of luck on that one. I think that's for sure. Mm.
2: There was his distribution is good, Elspino. I like I like what he does with the ball in his hands. You know, he's 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 not bad on that front. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I don't think we'll see him again now. I think he'll be off, but. Um thanks very much Dave. Yeah.
1: It was uh yeah, it's been emotional. Yeah. Well it's a good way to sign off, isn't it? <laughs> it would be, yeah. I mean why not? Brilliant. Uh, should we go have another question? Yeah,
2: let's Okay. Uh, at Chimp the Gooner asks Do you think Nacho could have extended his AFC career by looking the perfect left sided centre back
1: in a three? We only, we spoke about, uh, James spoke about Nacho in the, in the first part of the, uh, podcast and was full of praise for the way that he has played in this final third of the season, perhaps where, you know, he's played left wing back, left center half. He's played left back. Um, could he have extended? I mean, look, we're bringing in the Colasinac guy. I think everybody knows that. And that is a player for the future who's 23 years of age and Nacho Monreal is 30 or 31 at this point. But I don't see any logic in allowing Monreal to leave. I think if the one of the left backs is going to leave, it's going to be Kieran Gibbs because Monreal does have the ability to play as a left-sided centre-half. He can do that job in that back three. I mean, he's done it as part of a, a back four. He's played as one of the two center halves. I don't think it's where he's best, but certainly in, in a back three, you know, he's so quick. He's good uh, good in the air, tackles well. If the, if the new guy coming in is the guy for the future, there's no reason why Monreal still can't contribute. Um, over the next couple of seasons um, you know as somebody who, who adds real depth to the squad I thought he was uh, absolutely great for the last few weeks and uh, he's a player I really like I have to say mm. I mean it's going to be
2: really interesting to see what Arson does over the summer if he's well, I'm assuming he's going to stay here but I mean from a, from a tactical point of view whether he decides to stick with the three next season because I'm still not entirely convinced that it's something he wholeheartedly supports I think he still thought it was a, a short term solution but we've now well, eight wins out of nine. I mean it's really difficult to kind of back away from that,
1: isn't it? Yeah. I yeah, it is. Um in results terms it certainly has transformed the season from one that was looking just absolutely abysmal, we were staring into the abyss, mm-hmm. and we end up with a trophy, which I suppose we should point out is an actual trophy. Not <laughs> one that Tottenham uh like to think they might have won with the uh the best improvement. 2015 or 2016-17 trophy, you know, it's not the top four trophy. I mean, James, I don't know what your feeling on this is, but James and I were both in agreement that if, if it comes down to a straight choice between top four and a trophy, it's a trophy.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why those nine years without one was so bloody painful. I mean, yeah. even when it was the League Cup at one point, you know, messing that up against Birmingham was an absolute nightmare. Mm. It was no, absolutely no... um you know, I took no solace from qualifying for the top four in those years when we weren't, you know, when we weren't winning silverware. Yes. This was, this was huge. I, was, I saw that today. I didn't even realise. Wenger has now got – obviously, I know he's got seven FA Cup trophies to his name now. That's the same as Liverpool in their entire history, the same as Chelsea in their entire history. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah I mean, when you think back to that Liverpool team of the 70s and 80s as well, I mean, they seem to win everything. So I can't – you know, it's, it's unbelievable
1: it really is it's an incredible record and uh, we were saying earlier that probably nobody's going to beat it Uh, George Ramsey at Aston Villa was manager there for 40 years or something so it took him a a long time to get those trophies together and and I think we're moving beyond the era where a manager is going to stay at a club for For 20 years, 25 years, I just don't think that's going to happen too much in the future. Or if it does happen, it's not going to be at a club that can win the FA Cup consistently, if you know what I mean. Um, Mm. You might Mm. get a guy at a a slightly lower level club staying there for a long time. But yeah, it's, it's an absolutely... It's an incredible record. Um, Here's a question from Simon King at Simon T. King, and he wants to know, does ending with a cup win make it easier to convince big players to stay on? Because uh, as much as we uh, as fans will talk about how it's great to win a trophy, there is the idea that Champions League football is a big draw or uh, a reason for players to stay.
2: I mean, it certainly doesn't hurt, does it? I mean, if you look to the faces of Alexis and Urzel at the end of that game and to see, you know, the entire, well, the the entire Arsenal half of Wembley singing their names, to feel the love like that, you've got to, that's got to do something for you, right? I mean, I know that at the end of the day, money's going to talk more than anything, but that's, that's got to, that's got to help. I think, honestly, I think Ozil will probably stick around even though the Champions League football is is out the window. I mean, Wenger can at least point to the fact that, you know, not being in Europe could, well, I say not being in Europe, but not being in the Champions League could give us an opportunity to rest players on a Thursday night ahead of games on a Sunday and we could have a real go at the league. But mm. I mean, it's not just a case about keeping them. I guess it's about who we attract as well, right? And I'm hoping that being in the Europa League isn't going to adversely affect our chances of, of bringing someone else in, mm. um, but no, I, th- I it's, it's got to help. It's got to help. Winning trophies is what matters, right? I mean, we just said that.
1: Yeah. Well, look at sort of on the on the same uh, kind of tack. Uh, the man from East Lower, uh, ah, him again. Yes. Um, but he said uh, afterwards, Arsene Wenger said this team could win the league with a couple of extra signings. Two questions: Can they? And two. Uh, that would require us to keep this team together. Can we do that as well?
2: My gut feeling says that Alexis is going to go, and losing a guy who scored what just shy of thirty goals this season, and replacing him with somebody who can come in and do that straight away—it's a big ask, isn't it? Mm. Can we do it? I mean, look. We're, we're basking in the glow of an FA Cup triumph I'm feeling very good about things I'd love to think we can but I'm pretty sure we'll get to January February have our usual claps everybody will be calling for Wenger to go and uh, <laughs> it will be Groundhog Day. But I'm okay with Groundhog Day when we keep winning FA Cups, so it's all right.
1: Okay. Mm. I mean, I, I think the thing, I can see the point that he's making there. I don't think he means like one or two ordinary players. I think he means one or two players he's of still. the caliber of Alexis and, and Ozil. Yeah. And I think if we could attract players like that, then we would give ourselves a much better chance of of winning the league. It's whether or not we can do that and whether we want to keep the team together. I know he he doesn't like too much change, but I think there are players who will have to be turned over. You know, there's got to be uh, some decisions made in terms of certain players. And and one of the things that those decisions might do is free up a lot of uh, money, in terms of wages. If you look at, let's say, Matthew Debushi going, Carl Jenkinson going, uh, let's say Theo Walcott went, let's say Jack Wilshire went, David Ospina, one of the goalkeepers is going to go. You look through that squad and you think, you know, you could, you could free up a couple of hundred grand a week, which you can then use to convince players to stay by adding to their wages or add to the wages that you can offer, you know, a potential new signing. So, I also feel like uh, it feels to me like there must be some kind of understanding at the level of the club. I get, we're, we're, we're doing this on Monday. The board meeting is on Tuesday. I don't really want to go down the road of speculating on the manager's future. Mm-hmm. But like you, I, I kind of feel that he is going to stay. But I also feel like they must understand that that decision um, is going to be one that doesn't go down very well with... Uh, not all people, but with quite a lot of people who will then want the club to react in in the transfer market and to go out and try and bring in those players to get it back to the level where they want it to be. Um, so when I say they, I mean the club, obviously, the club want to be in, in the Champions League. You know, good luck to the marketing guys selling those, uh, those European nights in the executive boxes when we're playing the, the teams that we're going to play in the group stages of the Europa League. You know, that's... Uh, They're on a hiding to to nothing there. So what excites people um, beyond the competitions that you're in are the players that you have. And whether there's that kind of joined-up thinking, I don't quite know, but I I feel like we've got to go big again in the transfer market this summer. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the, the big things that we've done badly over the course of the last few
2: years has been relying on players being fit. And, you know, I look at someone like a Wilshire, I look at someone, I mean, even poor Santi. I mean, he's the biggest one we've got to replace if you think about it in the long term. Yeah. I mean, we saw how, how big a miss he was when he was out of the side. Um, you know, even relying on a, on a Ramsey, um, you know, these, these are guys who for long periods in, in their Arsenal career have spent time on the sidelines. Not always because, of, you know, it's not their fault in some cases, but... Um, I, I just think we've got to be more clinical. We've got to look at a guy and say, okay, is this guy going to actually play 80% of the games? Is he going to be fit for 80% of the season? If so, good. If he's only going to be fit for 40%, and I know that we were lovely to Abu Dhabi, for example, but, you know, we, we, we need to, these squad places now are, are, are very important. We need to be able to have everybody at a high standard and everybody ready. Yeah. um So, yeah, I think there's going to be some tough decisions. Whether it's Arsene making them or someone you know above him giving him a hand is is going to be interesting. Mm. All right, here is. or it's your question, I think, because I've just asked a couple. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. Uh, so this one is from at Mister Grister. and uh, this is only uh, only going to make sense if you've actually seen it. But was Stan Kroenke's Bugsy Malone suit a statement to the fans <laughs> to say he's still the biggest gangster?
1: I did see the suit. I laughed. I have to say, Jesus. I what a
2: state of him, though. I mean, like just the whole look. I mean, he looks like a kind of he looks like a comedy like character. Yeah, like a kind of Batman villain or something. Uh,
1: Mrs. Bloggs in the uh, the live blog said that uh, he looked like a lost Ned Flanders. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh I mean the suit was really something. I mean dude, you've got billions and billions of pounds. Unless he's sort of having to shop a right price suits or you get one of those you get five suits for $500 kind of places because he's uh, investing all his money in in some yeah. top players for us next season, but I did laugh, I have to say. I really did.
2: I, I genuinely don't think I've ever seen anybody wearing a pinstripe suit like that outside the city of London or in a in a movie about bankers. You know, yeah. it was just so out of place. Yeah. Um but, you know I guess I mean that at least he didn't dye his hair this year he seems to have given up on the just for men
1: so that know. is true yeah I mean because it was so dark and now he's you know back to back to Snow White he's embracing his inner grey the silver fox yeah <laughs> silver a, fox Stan Kronke. yeah he's weakened at Bernie Stan Kronke, isn't he at the moment <laughs> He is a bit, he is a bit. All right, here's a, here's a question from Mr... Oh, Mac G, who's at L underscore R underscore Guigs, who says, which of the many near chances on Saturday would you say was the most agonizing one? Oh,
2: it's got to be Erzul hitting the post, doesn't it? Because that really, that was the, that would have been the killer. Mm. And at that point, you, you know, I love a 3-1 goal because that's the, that's the real release where you know you've won it. Um, I mean, God, there's so many. I mean, Danny's header in the first half. Bellerin really, Bellerin's gonna get his shooting boots going. Um, no, I'm gonna go with Urzel, definitely Urzel. I mean, that just because it would have been so good for him to score as well. Because I, yeah. I just I love that guy.
1: No, I, I agree. I think what it would have done as well. I don't know exactly what minute of the game that came in, but it was the last two or three minutes of normal time, I think. And mm. then at three-one, you you get to confidently wave goodbye to all the Chelsea fans who would then have been streaming out of the stadium there were many of them leaving anyway but at 2-1 you you, you just never know but 3-1 with just injury time left to play that that gives you the chance to to really to gloat as well as mm-hmm. to enjoy it. So that was I think that was the most agonizing one because while it's, it, it's brilliant to win and to, to, uh, to enjoy that, the ability to also gloat at the opposition fans <laughs> is something that I think we all like too, right? It's, it's what football is all about.
2: I think it's the one thing that when you're a child you're allowed to do that doesn't involve you getting kind of told off for what you you know if you did that in normal life you'd, you'd look like a little shit wouldn't you <laughs> and a foot in a football stadium it's perfectly acceptable to be an arsehole to the opposition yes yes
1: um, on that uh, Joe Matthews who's at Fatty Joe Matty 10 says it's a shame that we will never know the extreme level of self-obsess, self-obsessed self-obsessed fuck country John Terry would have gone to had Chelsea won and, Joe, no, it, it's not. It's not a shame at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not a shame. I, Whatever he had planned, and I'm convinced absolutely 100% that he did have something planned, uh, it, it's great that we didn't see it. It's amazing. It's wonderful. The world has been spared something terrible. So, yeah. I mean, there's there's probably someone
2: somewhere out there who's got a whole load of John Terry... T-shirts in a bag or something. Someone in the Chelsea kit room who, who probably had loads of t-shirts. One day might just end up on eBay, and I would like to buy all of them.
1: All yeah, of them. yeah. Wasn't there? Wasn't those the like the t-shirts that we were supposed to be wearing at Old Trafford that day with fifties <laughs> on them or something? Um, uh, yeah. Oh God, I hate to
2: think about that. I, if, I hope they're on a bonfire somewhere. Yeah, Vic, Vic Acres put them on a bonfire. Yeah, never they, let them come out. They yeah.
1: must have gone into an incinerator for sure. Yeah. Um,
2: Do you mind if I ask a question of my own? Uh, Sure, of course. This has just been bugging me for the last 24 hours. Given how well Per Matisaka played, why did we not play Per Matisaka at other points in the season,
1: given that he's been fit since February? That is a really good question. Um, I don't quite know. I I think we went on that bad run of form, and I don't know that he felt like he could drop a player into that bad run of form. Um, you know, some of the games we've got to win. We've got to win a game against Tottenham. Or we've got to win a game against Chelsea or Liverpool. Is that the the right time for the first game of the season? And, you know, you, your common sense would tell you, no, it's mm. it's not. But then you see what he did and you can't help but wonder why. Uh, He he wasn't played. Um, Certainly I I thought since we moved to the back three, I was a little bit surprised that he didn't get a game or two there because I I didn't realize he'd never played in that system before, but it always struck me that it would suit him. Mm. It's a system that would suit him, you know, as the the middle guy of the the three center halves, you know, he's got the other two to do most of the running for him and he can organize and get things, uh, you know, together and uh, man the man, the ship, I guess. And... I think we saw that that's very much the case. It did suit him, but I don't, I don't quite know. I don't quite know. I wonder, was there something a bit more to it, but mm. yeah.
2: Yeah. It was kind of, he's kind of got a nice David O'Leary sweeper-esque role there now, if he wants it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we've got some massive decisions to make there though, with, you know, I guess Chambers coming back as well and Monreal can play it left. You know, there's, there's a lot, lot of options.
1: Yeah. Um, Shall I shall I do another question? Yeah, do, do, do a question. Do okay, ask? so
2: this is kind of looking forward to next year. But how much focus... This is from Tom W. Uh, how much focus will Arsenal place on the Europa League next season? And do you foresee full-strength teams or squad rotation?
1: I, I think we'll see squad rotation because I think some of the teams that we'll be playing will... Uh, Will be of uh, the the sort of calibre that we can rotate our squads. One one of the things that's been surprising to me over the last couple of years is how little Arsene Wenger actually rotates when you think about it. Mm. He doesn't really tend to do an awful lot of rotation. When we get a bad result, he wants to put the players who had the bad result back out there to restore their confidence, even though you're thinking, why not freshen it up a bit? And mm. um, when there's the opportunity to freshen it up, like you, was it the game against, um, what was the second last game of the season? Sunderland at home. Mm. You're thinking, okay, we've got Sunderland at home. We've got Everton then the final day of the season, an FA Cup final. Uh, you got, you don't want any players to pick up injuries, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or get sent off foolishly, for example, I don't know, but, you know, against Sunderland, a team that we could have beaten, probably by playing the youth team, with uh, uh, some balloons in goal, uh, he still picked a really, really strong team, so, I don't know why, he doesn't rotate more than he does, actually.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, there's a bit of me that looks at the, uh, because I don't think there's a youth version, of the Europa League, in the same way that there is of the Champions League, and that, competition is taken quite seriously by the team. So, yeah. you know, that they kind of keep the youngsters playing in it. Um, I wonder whether there might be a few youngsters who will get a chance to play Europa League football where they would have mm. previously been in the kind of the youth competition. But um, I'd like to see him throw in a few more youngsters because we haven't, you know, I mean, in the last few seasons we've had kind of breakthrough styles. I guess Holding, even though he's not an academy graduate, will count as the breakthrough guy this year. Um, I'd like to see the Jeff get a bit more...
1: Yeah, Time. but I mean, it, it might not even be youth players. Think about, let's say, go into next season and we could play whoever's our second-choice goalkeeper, right? And then yeah. you could play uh a back three with... Chambers, Gabriel, and Mustafi, let's say, holding. We could switch between Monreal and Kolesinac as the left wing back, Bellerin, Oxley Chamberlain perhaps as, uh, the right wing back. You've got Cochalan, you've got El you could play a Wobi. you could play a front three. I'm just using the players that we've got at the moment. Play a front mm. three of, uh, Lucas Perez. Again, just, uh, I know he might go, but, uh, who else? Theo Walcott, Danny Welbeck, you know, you can rotate your main squad as well without throwing in too many youth players. And I think that's probably what it will do is it will allow uh, some of those players to get a bit more playing time. So,
2: mm. yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, he's, he's really struggled this year to keep the players happy, hasn't he? Because of the, the you know, his, his seemingly, you know, unwillingness to kind of take someone like Alexis and Ozil out of the team. I mean, someone like Lucas, you'd expect if he does stick around, and I don't think he will. Mm. That, this is a competition that's tailor-made for him, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
1: All right, I'll uh, have one or two more, and then we we got to go. So this one comes from Peter, who's at PESLDK, and he says, Is Jack gone? Jack Wilshere, no congrats or anything from him regarding the FA Cup.
2: Oh, I hadn't actually noticed that. Um, I, I wouldn't read too much into stuff like that. I mean, it must hurt someone like Jack Wilshere, who's such a massive Arsenal lover, to to not be a part of a day like that. I mean, we saw a couple of years ago when Thomas Wazicki wasn't in the team and he was just so gutted, wasn't he, not to be on the pitch that yeah. he kind of looked completely dejected. I think I wouldn't bother reading too much into that. I mean, this is just a new phenomenon, isn't it? Social media, having even the access to the players who do that. I mean, um, maybe he gave the guy who does all his tweets a, a day off or something. Um, <laughs> does he Does he stay? I can't see it now. I I, I think, again, with the injury issue again Wenger's going to be in no more of a position this summer to promise him the, the, the you know the game time that he wants, so why why would he stick around really i mean he needs to he needs to play football, and I want to see Jack Wilshire play football for someone, but i don 't think it 's going to be us anymore and I think it 's sad, but you know this is the we have to make these decisions they 're hard decisions that 's what Wenger gets paid mm. eight million pounds
1: to do right yeah, absolutely I, I tend to agree with you with regards to Wilshire as well. I think the writing was on the wall when he left for Bournemouth and when he was allowed to leave for Bournemouth, all the talk about him getting uh, getting fit, you know, it, it makes some sense, but it's a nice cover story more than anything else for me. Like, mm. if you're that good a player and you're that useful and that indispensable, you just don't get... Uh, sent on loan, regardless of you know how much you might want to go on loan because you don't get into the England squad. So he didn't do enough at Bournemouth, I don't think, to suggest that he's the guy who can add what's missing to our midfield. Um, with eighteen months, well, no, not eighteen, twelve months left on his contract at the end of next month, then you know you got to mm-hmm. make a decision. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was if he was let go.
2: I mean, someone could pick up a
1: bargain there. I yeah. Mean, I can't,
2: you know, yeah. it could be a 10 million quid, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I've got another one on transfers. This one's from Ario underscore uh, 92. Is there any price at which we can justify selling Alexis this summer? Why not keep him and uh, convince him to stay in his final year?
1: Any price? I mean... Everything has its everything has its price. It's what you do with that money, though, and... and uh Like, you know, if someone came in and offered us £80 million for Alexis Sanchez, I think we'll take it, simply Mm -hmm. because it's £80 million for a player in the last year of his contract who is, how old is Alexis Sanchez now? 28? 28, 28, yeah. 28. So, I mean, he's still got good years ahead of him. Um, But if he's not going to sign and someone comes in and offers big money... Yeah, I mean, it would be very tempting, of course. I mean, they've spoken about how we, we, we're we not financially restricted anymore, how we don't have to sell our best players. But it, again, it might be tactical. It might be about accepting money from someone so he doesn't go somewhere else on a free or somewhere we don't necessarily want him to go. Uh, like, yeah, I don't know what to think about Alexis, to be honest. I think my gut is like... My gut is... It, that he might not necessarily go, but I don't think he'll sign a new contract. And at that point, then it depends how we play that situation, whether we decide to keep him and let him go on a free for his final season. I, I would have no worries about him playing. Um, but yeah, it's whether we, it's whether we let another one of these sagas dominate our summer. I think we've yeah. got to be really clear about it really quickly. So if we're going to put some clarity on the manager's situation, we've got to do the same thing with, with uh, Alexis, with Ozil, and with all the players who are in the final 12 months or are heading towards the final 12 months of their contracts. We've got yeah. to make decisions. To, you know, whether they're the ones we want to make or not, I think we've got to do it just for the sake of, of making sure we're not disturbed. We know what, what Arsenal are like. Little distractions can prove uh, very damaging to our summer. You know, um, these sagas don't always play out very well, so... I think there is money. Yes, there is any money that will will see you sell him. But I hope, uh, I hope we don't. But we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I mean, I don't.
2: I'd, I'd hate to see him go. But if he is going to go, please God, make sure it's as far away from Arsenal as possible. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, we're not going to play Bayern Munich next year, thank God. But I mean, they seem to be interested, and Juventus are interested, and then I guess it's what PSG maybe. Uh, and clubs in China. I mean, if we just don't countenance the idea of him going to, say, Chelsea or Man City. And I, I can't see Bayern Munich going higher than 50, say. Yeah. Juve, I don't think, are going to do that. Um, and then, it, yeah, I mean, they're, they're saying in China they have to pay a, a 100% tax or something, whatever the transfer fees are from now on, so they end up paying double.
1: I wouldn't see him... I, c- I can't see him going to, to China. Well... Yeah. Nah, no, I no, I really can't. I think he's too competitive to go to to China. Like if he wants, if he wants to leave Arsenal because the Europa League is beneath him, let's say. I yeah, don't, I don't yeah. see that there's a trophy in the Chinese Super League that has the same prestige as the ones that he wants to win. Big big Thanks, league sure. titles in in Europe and the Champions League. So I can't see that China's an option, but. It remains to be seen who's who's got the money out and who's willing to spend it. Uh, talk of Bayern, talk of PSG, talk of Man City, talk of Chelsea. You know, we, can, we can't let him go to another English club. We just cannot allow that to happen. Um,
2: would, I think it would it would just kill the mood at Arsenal as well. I mean, for that to happen in, say, the first few weeks of a, a new Wenger contract would yeah. just drive everybody nuts.
1: Yeah, it sure would. It sure would. Okay, final question comes from Martin, who's at Thierry's Boot. And he says, describe your feelings at full-time on Saturday in two words. Happy tears. Happy tears. Did you cry?
2: I had a, a welled up. I welled up. It was just, I, I, it's happened actually... It's happened in all three finals. I've had a little moment on my own where I've just sort of shut my eyes and I thought, are you going to cry in public? You're 34 and a bloke. Probably shouldn't. And then my mum looked at me and I was like, oh, shit. And- <laughs> That's a nice
1: moment, though. That's nice. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Happy tears. These, these, these things happen. What about you? Fucking excellent. <laughs> I think it was the first thing that, that uh, sprung to mind. Blessed relief. Um, yeah, just sheer joy. I don't know. There's all manner of expressions that you could use the arsenal. There's two, um, just, no, just fantastic. A fantastic day, a fantastic weekend. And, uh, you know, I think we should probably do it again next year.
2: I think that would be fitting. Maybe every year we
1: should just do that, just just organise a a big old game of football at Wembley where we win. Yep, I like it. I like the idea of that. All right, well, Andrew, thank you very much indeed for uh, stepping into the breach uh, for Um, James. My my pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, to everyone uh, out there, whose voice might be the same as mine, whose stomach might be as churning as Andrew's is after uh, so much celebration this weekend. Hope the podcast has got you through some of that. Thank you as ever for listening. Really do appreciate it. Uh, It's been a great way to end what has been a relatively disappointing, sometimes difficult season. Um, We were up for the cup. We won the cup. Can't ask for more than that. So uh, we'll catch you with another Arsecast very soon. Uh, There might be stuff happening this week that demands us uh, talk about So keep your eye out. But uh, for now, thanks very much indeed.